Life's perhaps most fundamental dynamic attempt to move from a lower form of experience and consciousness to a higher or deeper level of consciousness, from a diffuse identity to a more consolidated and structured identity. All of human life at least attempts to move forward along these lines. We seek initiation into adulthood, into adult responsibilities and duties, toward ourselves and others, into adult joys and adult rights, and into adult spirituality. Neil, how are you doing on this fine Tuesday afternoon? Pretty good. I'm really excited to dive into King Warrior Magician Lover, which, by the way, when you first recommended it as a potential Made You Think book, I had never heard of before, surprisingly. But as we start, as I started reading it, I was like, oh, yeah, I've actually seen probably excerpts or these ideas in popular culture, I feel like, or in yeah. terms of like people talking about them. But I never knew the book that they came from. Yeah, there, there's a couple of these books. I, I can't remember who recommended it to me, but I know it's in the camp, uh, s- similar camp of like Way of the Superior Man by David Data, which I think more people know of. And it's also quite a good book. And this one I, I, I thought would be interesting for us to try reading. I hadn't read it before either. It had just been recommended to me. But since it fits in with a lot of the themes we've discussed before around like ritual and kind of like adulthood and sacredness and you know all of the like psychological concepts that we touch on it seemed like interesting one for us to go ahead and explore and a lot uh, of a lot of tangent potential too. yeah exactly um, you know we're, we're gonna have to just we're gonna have to do a young book at some point <laughs> maybe we'll do one of those next because I, I feel like that's got to be one of the like thinkers that has been referenced most in other books that we've done. Probably. Right. Cause I know uh, like 12 rules for life, I think talks about him quite talks a bit. Him, I think power of Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. References him. This does uh, laws of human. Wait, no, what's the Robert green one? Laws we of did human laws of human nature. Laws of human, <laughs> human nature. nature. Yeah. 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 That, that one nature. references it. Uh, I mean, there's definitely others. So maybe we got to do like man and his symbols or whatever. Uh, yeah, which I haven't read. So I haven't read sounds... it either. It's, it's on my bookshelf. So, okay, that's an easy. That's an easy okay, one. Cue we'll, we'll uh, it up. This is also but... our first post hiatus Neil and Nat only episode. No, yeah. no special guests this time. And uh, I was just telling Nat before Paul, who's who was the guest on the Escape from Freedom episode. Uh, Paul Millard. He had sent me a message uh, and said that he's enjoying the uh, the guest hosts because they keep us accountable and on track. <laughs> and uh, and so I was like, well, we're recording this one. That's just us. So we'll we'll see how we'll see how many tangents we we get into, or if we can make it through half the book or, or more. Hopefully, yeah. We, <laughs> we kept teasing a deal during the Dictator's Handbook episode because you and I wanted to go <laughs> off in every direction, and a deal was like, okay, let's get back to the five themes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so who knows where this episode's going to end up? It'll be a good time. Yeah, it'll be fun though exactly maybe pepper right. will make an appearance maybe or, or, uh, <laughs> pepper or baby or tahoe or some someone will make an appearance someone will make an appearance there yeah. we go i haven't decided if i want to say her name on the podcast probably not i'm keeping it off of twitter i feel like if for now know, keep it yeah, until, keep... until she's ready to be take over your your, your job here yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> six-year-old with podcast yeah exactly oh that'll i'm sure that already exists it, it has to well there's, there's gotta be some got, like the, <laughs> the unboxing videos on youtube he was like one of the highest paid youtubers a couple oh, years wow. ago made like tens of millions of dollars just doing un- toy unboxing videos so, unbelievable that's yep that's amazing there's a market there's, there's a market. market there's a market honestly right. if anyone figures that out that's you i don't know if you want that for 
a ch- for your child, but that's like, I feel like you could figure out how to market that for sure. Yeah, like if there's somebody I bet on, it would be like, if there was a, <laughs> there's somebody I like, bet on to whore out their child for a podcast. It's it would probably be that. that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. See that you, you have like, you have the skills to do it. I don't know if like your ethics will let you do it. Yeah. There's a lot of people who like would have the skills to do it, but also don't have like the ethics to say no to that or like the, well, I, you know, it's all about what like, they're, it's all about exactly, what they're interested what the in doing, right? Yes, like, exactly. If, if if she saw us doing this and was like, hey, <laughs> I go, go. <laughs> can you hear us talking? Well, there's no, you, there's no video. Sweetie? There's, there's no video there's no on video, this. But <laughs> she's in here now being very cute. <laughs> hey, sweetie. Hey. But uh, yeah, exactly. It's like if, if the, if, if she sees us doing the podcast and is like, you know, daddy, I want to do a that podcast. Cool. It's like, Hey, let's go. Right. Yeah. Let's do it. Why not? All right. Is Should Pepper we... our third co-host? Jesse? Yeah. Pepper's I... down here. Yep. She's All right. She, awesome. she knew we were recording. She was like, Oh, it's my friend. Got to come hang out. <laughs> yeah, hi, Talking about you too. All right. What is this book? King warrior, magician, lover by Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette. Gillette. It's probably one of those two. Uh, we'll go uh, with that. We'll go with, yeah. One of those. So subtitle is rediscovering the archetypes of the mature masculine. So I I like how this book is structured because it's, it's not super long, right? It is a relatively quick read. It's not like it's, it's very psychology. It's, it's a cool blend of psychology and kind of like ancient myth or ancient tradition, I might say. Right. So it's got a little bit of like the, story power of myth style aspect to it where it's it's not like somebody is saying you know oh well according to like this research paper da, 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 right. right like this is you know how a dude should act it's very like you know from understanding psychology and understanding like you know the stories throughout history understanding like human culture male nature all of that like these are the four types of like high level almost character roles that men can lean into but also fully developing and understanding these four like psychological archetypes are important to having a healthy adult masculine psychology yeah and and i like how it's you know it's very it's it's he has this great line towards the end it's not my notes let's see where he says you know there's there's no use asking ourselves if the negative or shadow sides of the archetypes are showing up in our lives. The realistic, honest question we need to ask is how they are manifesting. Because they go through the book and they explain these kind of four archetypes, the king, the warrior, the magician, and the lover. And they have like a, a positive, fully developed, healthy side that presents itself in uh, you know, like mature masculine energy. And then they have a like unhealthy shadow negative side. And we all exhibit both sides of them to various degrees. And where the book is helpful is in kind of like aiding you to identify, you know, which of the areas you're more aligned with, where you might be kind of like exhibiting more of the shadow side, uh, you know, what, and, and then like kind of how you can improve. And I, I think there's also actually a lot of useful information in here around like being a good uh, parent too, and like being a good dad, right? Like I was taking a lot from that uh, reading it just in, you know, this context of having a newborn. So I don't know if there's a lot, there's a lot of good stuff in here. Yeah, there's a lot. I think a couple things too, is that 
So they they make this distinction early on in the book that masculinity doesn't just mean for men necessarily. So that I think I think we've talked about this on a previous episode too. That there's definitely like a spectrum of masculine traits and feminine traits. Men have some feminine traits. Women have some masculine traits. And more importantly, and I think this is the point that they bring up in the book, the things in this are sort of equally important for women to understand about men. And I kind yeah. of, I kind of wonder if there's like a reverse version of this book because I'll probably read that. Mm. I'm like, I know, yeah, I, I was psychology, actually, right? Yeah, um, I think that I, would I was pretty interesting that too. That would be yeah. a really interesting book to read. Yeah, if you um, know of one, if you're listening, if you know of one that's kind of like the inverse of this book, that'll be like from more of the feminine side. That'd be really interesting to to read too. Yeah, I I have to assume it's just my bubble that I've heard of a number of like good like male books like this but i i don't know the names of any of the like feminine angle books but they well, must be i mean we there. also are guys so i know that, that's what i'm saying that's possible. what i'm saying like yeah. it's got to be a bubble thing it's also like 80 or 90 percent of the listenership to this podcast is male too so i don't know if yeah. Although spotify i guess our spotify our spotify listeners are not that skewed i think i saw it's like oh no is it different it's like no, it's it still definitely leans men, but it's like okay. it's like two thirds men and one third female. But that's, that's only Spotify. But that's only Spotify. I don't know how it is outside of that. Could be you that guys we're just not like Spotify as much. As po- I mean, be. I never use podcast or Spotify for podcasts. So. Yeah, so it could be. I mean, there's your proof yeah. right there. Right? I don't know. Like, sample size of one <laughs> is the... <laughs> pretty much. There you go. That's all we need. That's all we need. Yeah. We can write an article on it now. Write an article for the FDA. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if we want to go on that tangent. We could. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. The uh, uh, National Cereal Day. Yeah, exactly. I'm feeling salty at them for their fucking cereal tweet today. It's amazing that they're allowed to put that out. Like that is. I know. I know. You can't drink uh, anyway. raw milk. Yeah, protect from the raw milk, but sugary cereal go crazy. No That's problem. Fine. Yeah. No problem. No, no, not even no problem. We're going to have a day to celebrate it. Yeah, we're going to celebrate it (laughs) and promote it for free. Sorry, sorry, Um, National Women's Day. It's National Cereal Day, actually. Yeah, exactly. That's that's fair tweeting. Um, No, the other the other theme that this I think pulls into before we really dive into the book is the like I'm sure you've heard the. I want to make sure I don't mess it up. Weak men make hard times. Hard times Mm -hmm. make strong men. Strong men make good times, and good times make weak men. So this book, like when, especially when they talk about like the problems or the, definitely the shadow is very often the stories that they convey are like the epitome of the weak man. Um, And I was just kind of thinking about that as I read this too, is like to kind of create, I think you even mentioned like to create like a more complete adult or to be a better um, adapted adult, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing these are, are pretty important. And then also knowing the shadow side and being able to see that in yourself and I guess in others too. Yeah. I like that you mentioned that four part cycle since the next book we're going to be doing is the fourth turning, <laughs> which yep. is, you know, actually, <laughs> well, that's like, partially I guess, why I was thinking about that. Too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we didn't think about it or I didn't make that connection when we picked this book, but in some ways it does kind of like feed into that. Right. Where it's like, I imagine certain It'll be interesting rereading the book now coming out of the context of this book because it's like, yeah, certain environmental situations are going to, uh, you know, probably lead to creating more of certain like shadow masculine personalities, right? Like we're, we're going to get into this more, but there's this idea of the the high chair tyrant, 
right? Like yeah, the spoiled, love that. the spoiled yeah. child that like demands everything because they've been so like heavily doted on. And it's like, yeah, that's probably a consequence of like a an opulent, like happy, war free, challenge free like lifestyle where you have this like spoiled two year old mentality into adulthood where you just like think you should get everything you want all the time. And you throw like fit when you don't get it. Yeah. And they even talk about patriarchy, like the idea we think about patriarchy as kind of like the boy psychology in a society. So yeah, like there's yeah. this quote, there's this quote, uh, quotation from the book where they say patriarchy in our view is an attack on masculinity in its fullness, as well as femininity in its fullness. I think that's correct. Those caught up in the structures and dynamics of patriarchy seek to dominate not only women, but men as well. Patriarchy is based on fear, the boy's fear, the immature masculine fear of women to be sure, but also fear of men. Boys fear women. They also fear real men. Mm. So it's kind of like, you know, I feel like you kind of see that too when we think about fourth turning a little bit. This is like the totally. micro level and then fourth turning becomes the the macro. Yeah, that's a good analogy, yeah. right? Like this is, you know, the how, how it happens on an individual level and then fourth turning is the like macro consequences of... yeah. I guess when a whole society does it, this is like the individual when the, you know, the consequences for an individual, but exactly. for turning as I guess when a sufficient number of people are in the same s- stage of development, shadow, I guess. Shadow personality. Yeah. 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 I, there, there's also this line or quotation I heard the other day that I really like that kind of plays into both of these, which is uh, your duty is not to be an obedient descendant. It's to be a generous ancestor or something like that right? Like it's more important for you to figure out how to like do the most for your future descendants rather than try to conform to like the desires of your ancestors. Right. Makes so much sense. Yeah. It's like this idea of, okay, it doesn't really matter what kind of like good or bad situation you were born into per se. It's more important that you figure out how to like, you know, improve and adapt your own psychology situation life experience, whatever, in order to create the best outcome possible for your like future offspring and their offspring and everything else. So with that, should we go through these these four archetypes on a high level and dive in a bit? Yeah. So should we start with the archetypes or should we go into boy psychology? First? Oh yeah, yeah. Let's let's start with boy psychology. Because I guess that's kind of where he starts, right? Like that's yeah, that's kind of the structure first part. Yep. Yeah. There I get because that's kind of the distinction of the book is I think that's that's almost the first important thing to pull out which is like one a lot of what i guess like a lot of what you would call today like toxic masculinity is what they would call like underdeveloped masculinity or like boy psychology right yep it's like these kind of like unhealthy fear attachment whatever driven uh traits that stem from an undeveloped you know sense of like undeveloped masculinity or like undeveloped adult masculinity. And they tie a lot of that to lack of like uh, societal rituals that transition you from boy to man, which I think we talked about in power of myth, one of the early episodes, but I mean, in this book, they combine, they talk about that a lot as well, that, you know, we, as a society, we don't have those clear transitions between your boyhood stage and your, and your man stage. I think they talk about like, I'm trying to find the exact quotation, but they talk about basically your boy ego has to die in order for your like adult ego to be created. Yeah. I like how they have a few of those stories of kind of like traditional rituals for making that that transition. 
where it, it would literally be thought of as you know you dying and being reborn as an adult and the i think they had the example of like the i think it was in africa or was it south america well the, the one i'm thinking of is like the Maasai ritual in africa where you have to go yeah. kill a lion yeah yeah and then after that yeah you're it's considered that once that's done like you died with the lion and now like the man is born right and it has to be like uh and there's almost this element of like true challenge and true fear of death and true like you know going through something in order to earn adulthood and we really don't have that anymore i mean even even all of the like old religious traditions that maintain some celebration of adulthood like there there might be a party <laughs> but, right, but it's not a challenge kind of it, right like yeah there's there's yeah. no challenge or like you know serious ritual or anything involved with it right i mean i the, the closest thing we have to like any kind of adult ritual that i could think of is like a bar and bat mitzvah and that's, <laughs> that's like what i was thinking of yeah. yeah and that that's that's a mostly a party that you have to like study for a little bit. And I, I mean, wonder I if that's been corrupted. Like, I wonder if the Orthodox version, I don't know anything about it. So I'm talking out of my ass right now, yeah. but I don't know if there is like, like, is this the, is this like the, the sort of like same thing for Christmas, right? Is this like the Christmas equivalent of like what Christmas apparently, you know, used to be or would be for an Orthodox family versus like someone who's just like, Hey, we got gifts today. Right. Yeah, like, I would I love, know. I would love like to that. discover yeah. that like 2000 years ago, a bar mitzvah like involved going and like killing some Middle Eastern like sand monster. I don't know. Right. Like <laughs> what, 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 what lives like on the Eastern Mediterranean? That would be like a lion that you have to go kill to become an adult. Probably right. had snakes. I well, lions you, used to have a uh, much actually, snake bigger. Would work. Oh yeah, that's true. There were lions. Right? Lions had a much larger territory. Yeah. Yeah. We Europe had lions too. in. Yeah. And America. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they just died out everywhere, but yeah, maybe it was Humanity. a lion. I don't maybe. know. We're completely making this up right now, but yeah. <laughs> if anybody knows, I like, I would, I, I just like to imagine that Barabon Mitzvahs used to be these like super hardcore rituals, like and then they ended maybe confirmation too. Yeah. And then it ended and the, with the party. Yeah. And the problem is that we just skipped to the party now. Right. Yeah. Or if you're like, if you're like me and you grew up secular, you had nothing. Right. Like, right. I mean, what, what's the secular version? Like a sweet 16. <laughs> That's literally yeah. like. It's just a party. You don't even have to, you know, study anything for yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, I do think that you can you can get this through life events, but it's accidental. It's yeah. not, it's not like, you know, like people go through a lot of different life-changing events along the way, right? And it's like you might go through that and come out the other side uh a mature adult. But I think what they're talking about here is we don't have that from a societal standpoint or that religious context either anymore. Yeah, yeah and I think that is like that is not a good recipe for having a society of adults. It's a good, no. s- good way to have a lot of children, you know, grown children. Uh, running around. <laughs> well, I, I heard, you know, this one thing, I guess I've heard it in a few forms, but basically like we, we think of teenagehood as this time of like serious conflict between like children and parents, right? Where, Oh, like once they turn 13, 14, they're going to have like all this conflict and it's going to be really hard. And uh, you know, one kind of like theory I've heard for that is that at that age, you're at least like psychologically competent enough to be like 80% of an adult, right? Like you could, you know, have some form of job. You're like looking to do something meaningful with your time and have like some control over yourself and your destiny. But we're so like restrictive with kind of like 
parenting and schooling and everything, especially in like the West, that it creates that like, you know, that internal, like that household struggle because there's nothing like external to really struggle against. Or you're like looking to spend that energy on a like challenge, but you don't have it. And so you kind of like wreak havoc. Domestically, right? Yeah, exactly. There's no quest. It's like anybody who has a dog knows that if you like don't exercise the dog, they turn into an asshole, right? Like they just rip everything up. And I think there's a level of like if you're not being psychologically stimulated and psychologically challenged, you will like create new challenge instead. So this is anecdotal, but like I personally experienced this as well. Is I didn't have as much of that craziness as a teenager, and I always attribute it to sports that like I kind of had. In some ways, I had that quest, right? Like even though you know, I didn't become a professional athlete or anything. Like I had that quest there and I've heard anecdotally from others, like similar things where it just gives you that outlet. Like there's competition. It's kind of in some ways, like, I mean, obviously depending on the sport too, it's like simulated war, right. And so like you're training, you're battling, there's a winner and a loser. And it does give you some of that outlet, but it's probably not perfect, but it's some, I mean, it's something. Yeah. But the, the question it makes me wonder is like, could you, could you design some sort of modern initiation ritual into adulthood where even if you're like 14 year old could pass it after that, you're like, okay, you know, I'm just going to like treat you much more like an adult now. Right. Like I, I'm trying to think of what it would even involve. I mean, like going and, you know, killing a bear or something is like logistically challenging. Right. But something in a VR context, could you like send them? Uh, no, I don't know, right? Could you like send them to Thailand with a thousand dollars and say like, "All right, you got to make if it here survive. for a month or two, and then yeah. <laughs> if you come back, right?" Like you know, so they have to be like super, you know, cost conscious. They have to like figure out work. They have to like learn some local language. Like you know, do all of that stuff, right? Like I feel like a motivated fourteen or fifteen year old could figure that out. And, Probably. I mean, if they could do that, then like, what the hell are you giving them a curfew for, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and if they're afraid to do that, then they are choosing to remain a child, right? Like that's sort of yeah. the way you're framing it is like, okay, well, if you, if you can't do that, then you, you have to, you know, keep listening to me. Yeah. I've got 13 years to figure this out, but I've, I've been thinking about it a lot. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, I feel like, I feel like you're, I mean, there's gotta be something. The only thing is like school definitely does not solve this in any way. No, I think school form. makes it worse because yeah. there, this was in one of the other books we did, right? I think it was an escape from freedom, right? Where it's like, Maybe it was something else. Or basically, like every kid who's, you know, at least somewhat smart knows that most of what they're doing in school is bullshit, especially by the time they're in like middle or high school. And, it, you know, it's not a meaningful struggle, right? Like it's not a meaningful challenge. They're not like, oh my God, like I feel so fulfilled by this challenge, right? Like this is why right. I hated school. I was like, this is so fucking stupid. Like, why are we wasting time on this? Yeah, I was not a fan. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But everybody tells you, like, no, this is really important, right? Like, you're going to use this later. Right? And you, you know that it's not true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you, you like want something meaning you want some meaningful challenge. And I think sports do a good job of that. Video games did a good job of that for me. Oh yeah, uh, that's true too. Yeah. Right. If you, if you have like truly challenging games to play, that can kind of fill that void. But yeah, we need, we need something else to, uh, to spend that desire for like meaningful challenge on or else this, it just becomes thing- destructive. The thing about school that's wild is like, if you try to ask any kind of meaningful question or like do something meaningful, it's like completely frowned upon, right? Because there's like no clear answer, even though all of life is that. Yeah. But school is like the exact opposite. It's got to be like A, B, C, or D, right? And you got to pick one of them. I remember there was an essay I wrote my senior year of high school. It was some like, there's some like biotech class that I was taking. And the question 
you could, there were different essay topics. So it was like one that I wrote. I remember the essay topic. I don't remember why I picked that topic, but it was basically the question I was asking is like, why, uh, if the FDA is approving drugs, like why, if a company gets like, if something goes wrong with that drug, the company gets sued, but the FDA does not right. If they're the regulatory body, that's like giving their stamp of approval. Like yeah, why yeah. can you only sue the company? I think it was because there was like a big pharma like settlement or something at that time that was like in the news. So I was like, oh, that'd be a cool thing to write about. And then that was one of the questions. And my teacher was basically like, I have no idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was that. And that was that. But she wasn't like thrilled I was asking the question either. Like, yeah, it was yeah. just like, yeah, did you meet the rubric? Like, let's grade it based on that. Whereas I feel like that type of question and like learning how to actually write about it and explore it. I think you even talked about this in the medley uh, recently. It's like learning how to write and like, you're kind of answering questions for yourself by writing and exploring ideas. It's writing is not taught like that in school. No, no. Writing is taught like, here's the rubric, you know, did you write the essay? box, five paragraph essay. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. 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 School does an excellent job of like making you hate otherwise enjoyable activities. I hated writing. I absolutely hated writing in school. (laughs) It's like, oh, you you enjoyed like exploring and learning things as a kid. Well, (laughs) now your entire self-worth will be evaluated based on (laughs) whether or not you can learn these arbitrary things and then regurgitate them in the way we want them. Like, oh, you enjoy reading? Well, now you're going to be judged on like how well you remember like esoteric facts from things you don't want to read. Like, oh, you enjoy writing? Guess what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean they, and they also trains you to do the most like bizarre stuff like for years i would end at, like i thought every essay has to be five paragraphs your introductory yeah. paragraph your three body paragraphs your conclusion paragraph and the only way you'd know it's the conclusion paragraph is because it starts with in conclusion in conclusion <laughs> in conclusion and <laughs> i had to train that out of myself like and it t- it took an embarrassing amount of time to like figure out that oh this isn't actually how you write so, yeah. and the reason you start writing that way is because you're, you're doing it to the rubric. So you're being trained as you do them. It's like, oh, I did it that way. I got a better grade. So I'm going to do it that way next time. And I'm going to double down on that. And you're just sort of subtly sort of like training humans to, to, to do whatever, you, you know, whatever, I guess, gets them a better grade. Well, yeah, it's uh, uh, assembly plant you know, said, yes. education. Right. Right. Yep. It's like you sit in a grid, you follow all the instructions, you know, you do the same things as everyone else. Right. It's like training you to work in a factory. Most yeah. of us are not destined for the factory anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, I mean, it's not a good initiation ritual into adulthood. College can be better because you have more freedom and like you are, I mean, I, I think you did this too, is like you kind of started exploring things that actually interest you when you were in college. It's not yeah. because of the college. It's like because of the fact that you're on your own and you have that independence. Yeah. But uh, yeah, well, it's why not I, like college itself. I mean, I went to boarding school for high school as well. And this is why I think boarding school is so good is because it gives you a bit more of that freedom at a younger age to like, you know, one, not only take a broader diversity of classes, but to actually, you know, have some free time to, you know, choose your own fate, so to speak, and not just kind of like do whatever things your parents want to shoehorn you into. Because I, I really do think that once you're at that like 13, 14 year old age, like you still want some probably like guardrails up, but you can probably have a lot more like freedom of decision than a lot of people give kids credit for. Yeah. And I mean, in college, I think for most people probably is when they start really having that, that chance to explore. But, okay. you know, I don't even know if that's fully true. 
because sometimes people just do like the major that they're supposed to do and yeah exactly then the career uh, they're supposed to do and obedient descendants instead of uh, yeah exactly what you said ancestors (laughs) yeah the other thing on voice psychology that i thought was interesting i don't even think it was in this book but we definitely talked about it in one of the other episodes is the difference between like male adulthood initiation and female adulthood initiation Mm. yeah i think this is a bigger problem for men and the reason for that i think is like there is no biological real like real biological transition into male adulthood so yeah you're kind of more susceptible to having like basically spending your entire life as a boy uh, it's very yeah, possible true. for that to happen i mean yeah. exactly i mean I, I think you know there there are others but like one of the main female ritual or feminine rituals for like that transition and from like girl to adulthood is like giving birth <laughs> right no, but also Which, your body changes so much yeah. from like as a as a woman right like from a right. child to an, an an adult woman whereas like a and man like women I mean, today change. still have both of those right yeah whereas like yep. most men don't have like anything resembling a traditional like masculine adulthood ritual and i don't think become i mean you're the parent so you you tell me if this is correct or not but i don't think for men becoming a parent has the same transition point as it does for for a woman and the only reason i say that uh because obviously it's not personal experience the only reason i say that is the number of like dads who leave as soon as they find out that their partner is pregnant and it just like kind of to me, it doesn't seem to be like a transition point just from what I, you know, just anecdotally. Right. But like, I mean, you, you have personal experience, so you can, you, you can speak I mean, to it personally. I think the the hard thing with it is that there, you know, there is no, like, I mean, there, there are a couple of binary moments, right? Like, obviously there's the moment when you realize your partner is pregnant and then there's the moment when they give birth, but you, you don't have that whole, like, experience the way she does right and so it's like you you know i've I've heard this line too right where like uh, a woman becomes a mom as soon as she gets pregnant but like a man doesn't become a dad until like he sees the child right and there's definitely a little bit of that because you don't like feel the baby growing inside of you and kicking and like all those things you don't get that whole like you're not nearly as close to the experience for that whole nine month period and then you know, and during birth, right? Like you, <laughs> you can only be so helpful, right? Like you, you can't really take on, you know, any of the pain or the challenge or anything, but you, you know, you obviously are like there and supportive. You know, I, I think actually it, I, I didn't have this in my notes or had thought of this originally, but now they're on the topic, right? Like there, there is actually some element of like modernity destroying the like, womanhood initiation ritual from giving around giving birth as well um just be especially in the west the whole like medicalization and industrialization of birth there's a pretty good movie the business of being born that talks about i've heard of this i haven't seen it yeah i've heard about it Uh, i'd recommend it for like i think i heard tucker max recommend it yeah yeah any like potential if you're like think about having kids or if you're your partner's pregnant it's like worth watching uh and it basically just talks about how like the birthing industry in hospitals is not really designed around like creating the best experience for the mother or like retaining, you know, kind of the sacredness of that experience. It's like getting as many babies out as fast as possible, as efficiently as possible, you know, with like like, minimal deaths. Right. Like, you know, but there's just so much that comes with that. Right. Like (laughs) we, we have one friend who's pregnant and she said that 
you know, so if you're, if you're like in a, if you're over a certain age, you're considered like a higher risk pregnancy and you know, their, their doctor was saying like, Oh, well, we're going to schedule an induction for you like on Tuesday before your due date, because you're like higher risk. We think that's safer. And that was based on like, you know, one paper that showed like slightly lower risk across like 50 births if they did an induction for, you know, higher risk moms. Uh, and they were doing it on Tuesday because Tuesday is when they do their inductions and, you know, they do it in the morning so that the doctor can like hopefully be out by 5 PM to like get home to their family. <laughs> it's like, you yep. know, it's, it's not really about you anymore. No. <laughs> it's, it's this whole like crazy thing. And I mean, you know, there's all this stuff around like how a lot of the birthing drugs, whether it's like the epidural or, um, uh, Pitocin can like increase complications and like lead to more C-sections. And like, we know that that can have a lot of like negative downstream effects and, uh, you know, so Coset opted to do like a birthing center, which is kind of like in between where, you know, you're not in a hospital, you're with midwives and you have your doula and it's like a much more like traditionally sacred experience, but still with the guardrails of being, you know, a four minute drive to a hospital, which right. is like, like way more than case. enough time if, yeah. yeah, if anything feels off. And that was just like so much nicer because I mean, it was literally like being in a, be, like being in a, you know, they, they talk in this book a lot about how we need like spiritual elders in our life. And we had like, you know, an older midwife who like felt kind of like, you know, spiritual elder, like, you know, uh, tribal shaman, like baby wizard, <laughs> like, you know, helped guide through the whole experience. Right. That's and, amazing. Yeah. It, it was like in, you know, an old house and, you know, you had like bed and like tub and like, you know, wonderful, really wonderful experience. And, you know, that was kind of like a cool way to reclaim that, but it's not like the default, right? Like the default is like, you're in the hospital with like the bright lights and the doctors running around and like machines beeping and like getting drugs pushed on you and like all that shit. That kind of like ruins that sacredness as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm not a fan of the hospital regardless, I guess, unless (laughs) I get like shot or there's something acute going on. Yeah. You know, like, I think that, I think it's great for that. Like there's no real replacement for that, but like a lot of other things, like in this case, I mean, I also think that the way you did it, you have the guardrails of like, just in case, I mean, it's not even that high of a percentage of a chance something goes no, wrong, they, but they it's said like, if there is it was a like chance. Fewer, yeah, they said fewer than 10% end up opting to transfer to the hospital. And a lot of that is because they've been in labor for like 24 plus hours mm. and they're just tired, right? Yeah. Like not even necessarily like a complication. It's just not like, like a life-threatening or anything yeah, like exactly, that. Like, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess, I mean... You're, but in the way that you guys did it, like mm-hmm. you're close enough that that that's totally fine. Yeah, and yeah. and and in most cases, like it goes total, you know, smooth, and you get this amazing experience. And I mean, I don't know, obviously, from a child psychology standpoint, like how much of that sticks with the baby, but I can't imagine it's bad. Like, no, to go well, this was probably better. Yeah, and there there is kind of this like interesting psychology around like birth trauma and that's where I was going. Whole like body keeps the score (laughs) idea, right? And you know, and like even little stuff, right? Like we know that kids who are born via like C section can have like a pretty negatively impacted like microbiome out of the gate. And, you know, we also know there's like this whole gut brain axis, right? And so like, if your biome is getting like screwed up from birth and you're being born into this like incredibly high cortisol, high stress environment, right? Like there, it's almost impossible to say that there's like no way that could have negative consequences down the line, right? Yeah. I mean, that is a human being born. Like it is a baby baby is still a human. Yeah. 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 Uh, 
So basically, I guess where I'm going with that is like, there's probably a huge cortisol spike higher than needed that comes yeah. out, right? Like in that type Dude, of environment. That, the, although, although like stress hormone stuff is really interesting too, right? It's like cortisol travels through breast milk as well. So Oh, so if the mom if is like, stressed. Yeah, yeah. If like the mom is stressed, you can basically be like feeding stress hormones to your baby. Wow. Yeah. Uh, not to mention just the like, you know, they're going to pick up on that energy, right? Like if, if either of us Regardless, is acting stressed, yeah. she's going to be like fussier and she's going to be agitated because like, you know, that they're pretty helpless. <laughs> so they, they just assume they're going to like, you know, if anything goes wrong, they're just going to die. Uh, and so if you seem super stressed out, they're going to be like, oh, fuck, I better like stream yeah. for help because something's not right here. I don't know. Make it, sure they don't really, forget about me. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it, it really makes you appreciate how like one, in, you know, important being on top of all this stuff is but then two just like how fucking hard it is to be like a functioning biological human in yeah. today's society right like yeah it it's just so wild i mean even stupid stuff like and we're so far off topic now but whatever. it's okay this is part of the fun yeah yeah <laughs> even stupid stuff right like blue light right and like sunlight exposure right where you know and this is it's funny because Cosette said this when she was pregnant too. And you know, I, I feel it now that babies here is like when you have something else to take care of, you take you start taking your own health a lot more seriously. And I never thought about like I, I was pretty good about sun exposure, but not that good. And now I'm like, oh, we like really got it. Yeah. You were well, it was good. easier when I had the outdoor desk. I don't have the That's outdoor what I desk meant. anymore. Yeah. Right. Like I gotta get that back. <laughs> but it, it, it's like, oh wow, we really gotta like get you outside more because like you need the vitamin D and you need your eyesight to develop. And it's like, okay, and we can't eat like shit because anything, you know, bad that we eat mm. is going like straight to you. And like, we got to control the light in the house because if, you know, if it's messing up your sleep, then you're going to sleep worse. And then we're going to sleep worse. And like, everyone's going to be unhappy, right? Like it, it highlights, you know, really just how hard all this stuff is. <laughs> did you Especially grow up, like, did you grow up knowing any of this stuff? Like, yeah. I, I, I think about that a lot. Is that like, yeah, when we, at least when I grew up, I feel like a, I knew none of this. I don't think my parents knew any of this. Like, yeah. I mean, I guess somehow no. we turned out okay, but like, it just makes me wonder, like, I mean, I, I feel like the generation before, like my, I, my grandparents' generation knew a lot of this in like just instinctually. They didn't know like, oh, there's a paper to back this up yeah. or there's like science to back, you know, doing this up. It's just like, this is the way we do it. And yeah, I think it was a problem. It, like skip the generation for some reason. We we like we grew up in the era of like sterile science-based everything, which is like really good for acute, you know, disease and like disaster management. But I just think about like, you know, and again, we this wasn't like my parents' fault or anything. Like nobody no, knew. No, like we didn't know too. anything yeah. about this like diet stuff. We like we didn't know how food was affecting us. We didn't know about like, you know, seed oils and margarine and like all this shit. And, you know, I was kind of like chubby and had like horrible acne and stuff. And like, you know, looking back on it, it's it's just so painfully fucking obvious that <laughs> everything was caused yep. by what a what an atrocious diet I was eating. And, you know, but it was like, oh, like you have bad acne. Okay, we'll go to the uh, like epidemiologist or not epidemiologist, dermatologist, uh, dermatologist. dermatologist. Yeah, yep. I, always mix that up I had terrible, I had terrible acne too. Same, yeah, same and the dermatologist yep. is like, oh yeah, here we'll give you doxycycline to help like kill all the acne, and that's like a fucking broad spectrum antibiotic. So like, not only so was I used your gut health. 
Yeah, yep. I was like ruining. I was destroying my like gut and like everything with terrible food, and then I'm just like nuking all of my like you know healthy bacteria with a broad spectrum antibiotic that I was on for like two years to try to treat acne, and it's just like you know. But it also makes you appreciate how like resilient humans are, right? Like I, I, I think about the health side a lot, but then I also think about like a mom could pretty much just eat like Coca-Cola and Chick-fil-A for nine months and they would still make a baby. And like, yeah. that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, <laughs> right? That's like, a great point. It's actually incredible. Like humans are the most amazing recyclers of almost any animal, right? Like if a panda eats anything besides bamboo, it just dies. Right. But like we, we can eat like anything. <laughs> we somehow turn it into like life. And oh you know, yeah, you like, can say around. alive. I, you might not be optimal, but you can, you will survive. No, you're not like, thriving, you're, but you're, yeah. you're still moving. Like, yeah, kind of crazy. So yeah, I don't know. Just, Damn, where so where do we leave off the, the, uh, oh the my book? God. All right. Well, okay. <laughs> that so was an awesome talking, tangent. That yeah, was, was a good awesome tangent. tangent. <laughs> it, I think where we left off, we were talking about like boy psychology yes. and right, yep. like men not having rituals, women still having some, you know, at least a little bit of the traditional ritual because they like they still have motherhood, right? Or like at least the birthing experience. That's how we got down the like hospital versus birthing center track. But like most males have no initiation ritual at all um and that's why there's this like endemic of boy psychology right as they call yep. it in the book um and they so also what are the talk about the, of, oh go ahead i was gonna say the other thing they talk about and then i think that's the last thing i have in my notes about this is like that sort of high chair tyrant or the the sort of like wounded boy mentality yeah. so this is this is a yeah. quotation from the book um where they're talking about kind of the idea of like the like manly man, kind of the kid trying to pretend to be a man. Like they, they talk about gang members as in one section. Uh, yeah. So they say they're all boys pretending to be men. They got that way, honestly, because nobody showed them what a mature man is like. Their kind of manhood is a pretense to manhood that goes largely undetected as such by most of us. We are continually mistaking this man's controlling, threatening, and hostile behaviors for strength. In reality, he is showing an underlying extreme vulnerability and weakness, the vulnerability of the wounded boy. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's where what we mentioned earlier about the whole like what we would call toxic masculinity today comes in, right? Where it's like there there is this like very good positive version of masculine energy. Cam Seppa on Twitter calls it tonic masculinity. Which oh, I, I like is a little, yeah. a little cringy, but it's clever. No, but I like it. It's like a good like uh, it's a, it's easy to remember. It is. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, these like stupid, you know, machismo, whatever, like aggressive behaviors, like, no, that that's not masculine. That's like boyish, right? And you know, the the good like tonic masculinity is like fully embodying these kind of four archetypes that get described throughout the rest of the book. Yep. Yeah, I think that's the at least in my notes, that's the end of the first part of the book. And now almost an hour in, we're going to get into the, <laughs> get into the Kings, get into the, exactly what the, the actual, <laughs> so there are, there are these four archetypes. There's the, the King, the warrior, the magician and the lover. And at least how I understood it, we all have all, all of these within us. We just have them to vary varying degrees and we can sort of cultivate and uh, I guess, embrace various parts of those psychologies at different times, but it's kind of, this is definitely a Jungian idea, this sort of like multiple personalities thing within all of us. Um, yeah. Which we've, def I've we've seen that somewhere else for sure. 
I don't think it was described as these four archetypes, but these are the no, four no. archetypes. Law, yeah. Laws of human psychology certainly talked on some of this, but um, yeah. So, I mean, why don't we just hop in and start going through some of them? I mean, he, he puts them in this order, but I don't think it, it's not like a hierarchy or, no. you know, any, anything particularly important to the order, but you know, he does start with King energy. And uh, I, I kind of like this line that he has here where he says, uh, Freud talks about the king as the primal father of the primal horde. And in many ways, the king energy is father energy. So mm. kind of like being being a good king isn't actually about being a ruler. It's about being a good like leader and like not spiritual guide, but like someone who people can like look to for strength and security. And that he's got, they've got this line a little bit further on where they say, uh, we see in modern dysfunctional families that yeah, when there is an immature, that. a weak, or an absent father, and the king energy is not sufficiently present, the family is very often given over to disorder and chaos. Right. So, you know, talking in particular about how like kids, you know, want a like noble father figure to look up to. And to like see for that sense of security, compassionate leadership, all of that. And when they don't have that, you know, there's, you know, you're not going to feel as secure, you know, kind of like within the family unit. And the, a little bit further on, keeping on that same theme, they say, uh, you know, going back to kind of like this boy energy versus man energy, it says, uh, or they say, young men today are starving for blessing from older men, starving for blessing from the king energy. This is why they cannot, as we say, get it together. They shouldn't have to. They need to be blessed. They need to be seen by the king. Because if they are, something inside will come together for them. So it's kind of touching on this like support, approval, protection, security, like all of these good, kind of like noble masculine energies without the uh I, I think it's really important to like distinguish it from, you know, what we could call like ruler energy tyrant. or like tyrant. tyrant yeah exactly yep. tyrant is like the, the shadow term that they come back to a lot and that's you know what you don't want to assume when you hear king energy yeah and he talks they they talk about the king archetype possesses the qualities of basically order reasonable and rational patterning patterning integration and integrity um, stabilizes chaotic emotions out of control behaviors so they actually have a section where they give some examples of what would be in their opinion, King energy manifested. Yeah. So this is, this is from the book. Go ahead. Oh, good. No, I, I think that? we're about to read the same passage. So hit it. <laughs> so, so he says, uh, or they say, this is the energy that expresses itself through a man when he takes the necessary financial and psychological steps to ensure that his wife and children prosper. This is the energy that encourages his wife when she decides she wants to go back to school to become a lawyer. This is the energy that expresses itself through a father when he takes time off from work to attend his son's piano recital. This is the energy that, through the boss, confronts the rebellious subordinates at the office without firing them. This is the energy that expresses itself through the assembly line foreman when he is able to work with the recovering alcoholics and drug abusers in his charge to support their sobriety and give them empowering masculine guidance and nurturing. Was that what you were thinking of too? No, I was thinking of another one, but that's also oh, a really good okay. one, which I didn't have highlighted. Yeah, it's just some good was, examples. It's just some yeah, good examples. No, I think yeah. those are great examples, right? And it's like, and it's that I this is kind of like a corny graphic, but I like it, which is uh I'm sure we could find it later to include it in the notes. But 
it's like uh, leader versus manager. And it's like a manager is sitting at their desk on wheels and like yelling at their employees to pull them. Right. And like the leader is at like the front of the line, like pulling whatever the weight is like with the team. Right. And I, that kind of like highlights it nicely. Right. Where like the, the king energy is the sort of like leader front of the lines, like, you know, involved in the challenge and like helping bring everybody through it together. Whereas the tyrant is the one like who just wants control and power and to like direct everybody else, but not have to like take on any of the responsibility themselves. Yeah. And it seems like the, a lot of this is like hard to even put into words, but it's, you kind of feel that centeredness. I don't know how to exactly describe this, but when they were going through like what King energy is the only times I can, you know, the times I can think of like when I feel it, I feel very centered is like the the only way to put it. It's like, you're not getting emotional or pulled out of direction in all sorts of directions about a problem, but you're just like, you're like present and you're, you're working to solve it to your point. Like you're not sort of like this third party. That's just telling people what to do. You're like yeah. in it with everybody, but you are, you're like not emotionally pulled in different directions. I'm having trouble putting it into words. Like what exactly no, I, I'm talking about. I, they, they actually explain it well a little bit later. Uh, this is the part I thought you were going to read, but oh, okay. they say, uh, we will feel centered and calm and hear ourselves speak from an inner authority. We will have the capacity to mirror and to bless ourselves and others. We'll have the capacity to care for others deeply and genuinely. We will recognize others. We will behold them as the full persons they really are. We will have a sense of being a centered participant in creating a more just, calm, and creative world. It's funny that you were using the word centered a lot because they seem to really like that word hmm. as well, right? Like you're, you know, you could still obviously be emotional, but you're in control of the situation, like internally and externally, so that you can like be the most supportive person possible. Yeah. Like supportive and not reactionary. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's really interesting. And when I first started reading it, like this, this book, I was thinking, oh, like it's like almost like a, maybe a pyramid or like a hierarchy mm. of, yeah. of energies. Uh, but they make a point at the beginning of the section that like, what do they say? They say a good King is always also a warrior, a magician and a lover. The same holds true for the other three. So it's not like, okay, King is the best. And you know, everything else is like subordinate to that. It sounds that way just from the word, right. It's like, king right we all want to be the king but um it doesn't mean it doesn't mean like this is like the best it, this is one of the four and i guess what's the inverse of this they they did they use the word tyrant or did they say something yeah else? they i think they say the word tyrant yeah. yeah the the tyrant pressures a man for more and better performance and is never satisfied with what mm. he produces uh the unfortunate man becomes the slave of the grandiose two-year-old inside of him. He has to have more material things. He can't make mistakes. And because he can't possibly meet the demands of the inner tyrant, he develops ulcers and gets sick. He can't, in the end, stand up to the unrelenting pressure. We men often deal with the tyrant by having a heart attack. We go on strike against him. Finally, the only way to escape the little Lord is to die. It's yep. pleasant. So, yeah. <laughs> but it, but it does make, it does make a lot of sense. It's like, um, People who like work themselves to death, that I feel like are are definitely part of this. Worry themselves to death are part yeah. of this as well. Um, I mean, we all have this energy in our in us as well, like this, yeah, this universe yeah. of it, the shadow. I guess is what they call it. Another way they describe it is uh, the other problem in accessing this energy arises when we feel that we have lost effective touch with the life giving king altogether. 
In this case, we may fall into the category of the so-called dependent personality disorder, a condition in which we project the king energy within, which we do not experience as within us, onto some external person. We experience ourselves as impotent, as incapable of acting, incapable of feeling calm and stable without the presence and the loving attention of that other person who is carrying our king energy projection. It's a good way to frame it. Yeah. And that, that's actually that's... one that really, I, I would say, like transcends uh, gender, right? Because like, that's clearly not an exclusively masculine thing, right? Like it doesn't like it, a lot of the a lot of the descriptions you know might trend towards masculine but that idea in of itself it's like everybody has this like strong king energy within them and when you don't feel like you can rely on your own king energy you develop this dependency on somebody else to give you that sense of security instead and it kind of explains how it feeds into the like boyhood versus manhood thing where like as a child the father should be the source of that king energy for you and then becoming a man is when you develop your own internal king energy and no longer need to seek for it externally yeah and i think like in our society maybe this has always been true but in in our society there's definitely a lot of like what's the right way to put this like figures who become like father figures to a Mm. lot of individuals like i would i don't know if this is true today but i feel like a few years ago Jordan Peterson is probably falling into this category yeah, for a lot of yeah. people. Um, not saying like he's like the best example of King energy, but just as an example, right. I feel like sports or entertainment are, is another one of these things where people kind of rely on this external person to be the, the King energy manifestation. Totally. Well, that yeah. that's sort of what they were talking about with gangs too, right. Where, yep. Yep. you know, especially like young boys who don't have a father around are like seeking that, like some form of that father energy and uh, like, you know, gangs can provide that in like a really kind of like negative way where it's like, you're at least being seen and accepted by some older male figure who has like some, at least something that you like look up to. Right. And that's kind of like a classic negative, like shadow version of like the King energy at work. But that goes back to like the weak men thing. Right. Cause it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, you could say like, so where are, where are the you know the kings that these people should have been looking up to and helping them develop their own king energy as well right and you know in some cases it's like the father is absentee like just doesn't you know may not even know who their father is and then other cases it's there is a father but it's not a not a strong father yeah i think about this with politics too right where you know on some level i feel like the strong sense of like cynicism and hopelessness with you know sort of like our generation in general is just like a lack of good king energy at the political level right it's like i don't really get any king energy from any like <laughs> leader i can think of right like, what? you're telling me trump yeah. and biden don't give you king energy not really right? no no I mean, not really not really i get boy i get like i get tyrant from uh from from trump like the boy yeah boy energy like the high, high chair tyrant yeah that's the energy i get from him. biden i don't know what energy i get from him, I but it's not king I, get. Energy. I don't get much energy i don't get, I don't get much problem. energy <laughs> yeah <laughs> i get sleepy energy yeah <laughs> um yeah i don't but, know it's but like politics is kind of downstream of all of this right like i think like is. this culture stuff or the psychology stuff Politics is just kind of like the national manifestation of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it it is interesting to think about like, okay, you know, how does that reflect 
the like micro or how does it reflect it on a micro scale, right? Where like do are we elect do we have weaker leaders because we are weaker individuals, right? And that, that's probably what the whole like strong times create weak men, weak men create bad times thing comes from, right? Where or like how, how it ends up being exemplified, right? And yeah. to the like fourth turning idea, you need some sort of inciting event to uh, cause you to look for strong leaders again, right? It's like, you know, regardless of, you know, there's actually no regardless caveat here, right? Like the, the president <laughs> of Ukraine is probably a good example of this right now, where it's like the dude's not even really a politician as far as I know, right? Like he was an actor. And He's a comedian. Like, I think yeah, clown, comedian. World, clown world requires comedian presidents. I think we, I know, we're going to go in that direction. The dude seems kind of like a badass, right? Yeah. Like I, I know there's some degree of like propaganda going on with like the suspiciously all positive stuff that's coming into my feed about what's going on in Ukraine. But like you can't deny like the dude's just staying there and like fighting it out with his people. And yeah. like it's pretty baller. Like you have to respect that. Especially like I don't think he has military training, right? Like honestly, not- even if it's propaganda, it's good, very good. It's yeah, very, right? it's like, very good. Like Ours would be in the bunker or like in the doomsday plane so circling the country. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, it's like, when have we seen a like, you know, modern, does Ukraine count as Western? I think so. Modern, like, you know, like <laughs> first world nation leader, like effectively on the front lines of a military Hell, not conflict. even first world. I mean, think about like the, even like other other countries, yeah, it's like true. Like the, the whole of, Hussein Afghan. was like hiding in a bunker yep. for what a year with like a tiny breathing pipe coming up. I mean, Dictator's it, right? Handbook was full of examples of, yeah. of leaders just like you know when they were deposed, they left with like a billion dollars or something. In yeah, exactly. Account, right and yeah. right, right. So it's just, it's, yeah, you don't it's see just it refreshing. No, yeah. no, not at all. The the only the example I can think of, I'm sure there's more, but the example that comes to mind for me is like Churchill with the mm. London bombing and everything and kind of being that galvanizing, like, like, no, I'm not, I'm not leaving. Like we're not giving up, like we're going to keep fighting. And um, I mean, from everything I've read that like that did turn the tide of the war in many ways, not the only reason, of course, I think there's yeah. a lot of other reasons, but it's yeah, that was, yeah, I'm sure like just even from a, even if it is propaganda, right? Like even if he does go into his bunker after he makes those videos, it's still cool. He's still like, out there to, making the videos. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Unless if there's really powerful green screens now that like <laughs> we, he's oh actually in like he's actually, it's actually TikTok filters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or he's in like a studio in New York or something. And like Oh my God. <laughs> that no, nah, nah, we're, no. we can't be that cynical. We can't be that cynical. <laughs> you know that there's somebody out there spinning that though. <laughs> like, look at the edges of the videos, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's just like the moon landing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Right. oh man speaking of right. uh speaking of being a warrior should we move on to warrior energy yeah let's move on to warrior all right yeah i was just gonna say warrior is a really interesting one because especially when it comes to uh, i feel like modern masculinity it's a very negatively viewed one um yeah you know i think they mentioned too like domestic abuse and all and stuff like that makes you think of like the warrior kind of makes people think about that but they do make this caveat that like, regardless of what as a society we want to do to suppress warrior instinct, it exists, right? It's like a part of part of us and it's part of our psychology. And the fewer outlets that you kind of give it or the, the less that you embrace it, the more the shadow side of it will come out. Yeah. Um, 
And so, yeah, I think like, that's just a preface this section. I thought that was just a really interesting framing. Did you know there's actually, uh, you know, this stuff is hard to fully track, but there's like a set of genes called the warrior genes. Really? Yeah. There's like, yeah, there's some genetic component to this where, uh, and it's an interesting thing where, let's see, you know, obviously these are all like observational. Yeah. Observational studies, like it can, you know, somewhat predict levels of aggression. You know, I, I think, you know, it's not obviously this stuff is a lot more complicated than just like, oh, if you have this gene, you're more aggressive, right? But like there is a little bit of that like genetic element that needs to like find a healthy outlet, right? And it's it's kind of interesting to think about to your point, right? It's like it doesn't like obviously like masculine aggression is not always a good thing. <laughs> it can yeah. lead to a lot of very bad things, but like pretending it doesn't exist doesn't help or doesn't make the problem go away. Or like the question is how you channel that energy into uh you know very productive things and into like good uses. Yeah. I mean this was explored a bit in Fight Club, uh, yeah. which is kind of one example of it. But uh just like anecdotally, right? Like I I've been on and off with martial arts for like seven years now, eight years. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do it growing up, but I do genuinely feel better when I do it. Like there are, I don't know how exactly to like, I don't know what feels better. I just feel like better. Like, I feel like I'm relating to the world better when I do it. And it's hard to describe, but there's something that like you have that outlet for it. It's probably like the testosterone thing, right? Because combat sports increase testosterone quite a bit. Right. And like that, that's the other kind of pharmacokinetic like aspect to all of this, right. Where it's like testosterone is so, essential for healthy male functioning but then you have this like weird almost uh like concern with you know testosterone and masculinity and like all the bad things that come with it it's like okay well that's that's like the boy psychology coming out right like it's undeveloped masculine right then i like this uh i like this way of describing warrior energy that they have where you know it's not necessarily like battle and combat and like fighting oh it's, yeah they yeah. say uh the warrior energy is concerned with skill power and accuracy and with control both inner and outer psychological and physical the warrior energy is concerned with training men to be all that they can be in their thoughts feelings speech and actions right and like physical combat would just be one manifestation of that right oh definitely it, like, cause if you, if you think, if you think traditionally, right? Like if your goal is to be the best that you can be, you, you would have actually very few ways to test that, right? Like how, how do you test that you're the best you can be? You've got like physical combat, physical challenges, and then like intellectual combat, right? Potentially, right? Or like intellectual challenges, but it's like sort of it, right? Like you, you need, you need, uh, an other in order to like be challenged against and yeah you don't have they all besides physical and intellectual like challenges right yeah and they also mentioned this like stance towards life and towards problems so i'll just read it from the from the book 
We've already mentioned aggressiveness as one of the warrior's characteristics. Aggressiveness is a stance towards life that rouses, energizes, and motivates. It pushes us to take the offensive and move out of a defensive or holding position about life's tasks and problems. Yeah. So I think it's also just like a lot. Yeah. It's like an attitude towards what you're dealing with. And I think we've probably all felt this where, you know, your to-do list keeps piling up. There's just like a million things going on and you just start to feel underwater with everything. And you just kind of are in like, you're in like chicken with its head cut off mode where you're just like moving from Slack to email, to text, to like Google doc. And you're doing the tab roulette thing where you're just kind of like switching tabs. Maybe you're doing like the social media, like, uh, rounds, you know, you go like Twitter to whatever else you're on, (laughs) you know, whatever other social media, you keep, you keep going in the circle. But then if you go after, like you say, okay, I'm just going to finish this one task. Like, and you go at that one task and then you start building momentum for everything else. And then that's how you sort of get out of being underwater. I would say that second, second version is the warrior, like psychology, at least uh, manifesting. Yeah. It goes back to being proactive instead of reactive. Right. Yep. And, And this, this archetype might be where we see that like embodied the most is if you have weak warrior energy, then everything is happening to you and is obstructing you and you're complaining and whining and like nothing is going your way. And you know, you, you feel kind of like stuck. Whereas like the positive warrior energy is, you know, you're, you're in control, you're choosing what to like prioritize, make progress on You're saying no to things, you know, you're saying yes to the most important things. You're like, you know, you're, you're regaining that control and that forward momentum in your life. Right. And it's kind of like a, a funny uh, aside, but going back to some of the like, you know, biochemical, whatever aspects to this, there's this like fringe, maybe it's not even that fringe, but like uh, concept of using like semen retention for productivity. So basically, oh, like, I think I've heard about this. Yeah. 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 Basically. I mean, that it, it's, it started as like anti-porn stuff, right? Like people exactly, just like yeah. jack off all day. Yeah. Yeah. But if you, if you're not getting off, then your body's going to progressively like ramp up testosterone. I think it peaks around like seven to 10 days because your body's like, you need to reproduce. So I'm going to make you like more (laughs) aggressive and attractive, like until you get that release. And then guys will do that to channel it into, uh, like, work <laughs> which there, there's a like, few rappers who've talked about this i was that's on yeah, googling yeah. just now was uh there's a guy um i hope i'm pronouncing this right but nle choppa uh <laughs> says he encourages men to not ejaculate during sex saying you could run eight miles with the energy it takes to have one nut <laughs> yeah makes sense all right i think it was in it was either in tucker max's book mate or it was in models by mark manson but basically the idea was like if you're if you're single and you're trying to like go out and meet women on like Friday or Saturday, like don't uh, ejaculate during the week because then you'll be at like peak testosterone and be the most attractive, uh, like pheromone fer- wise by like the weekend. It's just kind of like a funny. It's right. It's like sort of this idea of okay, you have this like underlying energy. And you can either like let it rule you and have it be channeled into like negative ways where this is kind of like incel stuff, right? Where you're like, you know, sexually dissatisfied or like 
unfulfilled. And so you channel it in like these very negative, destructive, like hateful ways. But you can also take that same like pent up energy and channel it in like very productive, like proactive ways as well. And I think that's kind of like a good theme throughout this book is like a lot of us have like similar situations and similar like energies, effects, things like that. And then you kind of have the choice of whether you let that situation or that like environment rule you and evoke the like shadow version of these archetypes, or you can rule it and harness it and turn it into the like proactive, like noble version of these different personalities. Yeah. I mean, in some ways it's similar to like, you can give in to your instincts to like, I don't know, eat donuts all the time because it's just mm-hmm. fried and sugary and your your body really likes that. Your body does not really like that stuff, but it your brain like it thinks rewards it you it. for having. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And it's kind of like the same thing with this, right? It's like you can, I guess we have the capability through, you know, you can drive to your donut shop or get Uber Eats or something. You can literally get donuts whenever you want. And it's kind of the same thing with like, porn and yeah people just like being chronic masturbators like it's the same kind of same kind of thing like you can just get anything you want on your computer or on your phone and not have to work for it right and like that's one way to live or i feel like now you kind of have to and maybe this has always been the case but you kind of have to challenge yourself to do the harder thing to actually to kind of actually live a fulfilling and like full life yeah. Have you seen those stats on the rise in male virginity? Uh, no, not particularly. Let me see. Oh my God. It's so insane. It's something like 20 years ago, only like 13% of men by age 25 had never had sex. And now it's like 37%. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I see something from 2021. Yeah. I see 27% in 2018. Yeah. It's so wild. And it was. Um, I think it was 8%. It was 7% in 1989. It was 8% yeah. in 2008, though. So it wasn't all that this different between 89 to 2008. And then after that, yeah, it's just like... Yeah, and then something, something happens. Straight line so up. I saw, oh, well, the iPhone and, came out around that time. Okay, so <laughs> I, saw, I saw another stat that I think is really interesting, which was a chart of women's height filters on Bumble. Because I guess you can... You can filter out men under a certain height on Bumble, or maybe it's Hinge or one of them. I'm not sure. I'm like old and married now. Uh, but <laughs> I think it almost was, all of them let you. I know Hinge for sure. I'm, would that yeah, that. yeah, yeah. But it was something like the like 90% of women were filtering for like 5, 10 or above. Uh, mm. Maybe like 80% were filtering for 5, 10 or above, which is only like 12% of the population or something. It was something really weird like that. And then there, there's some other data I've, I saw that was like either Tinder or Match.com, where it was basically like there's an insane fat tail for male matches, but a more like even bell curve for female matches, where like a woman who's uh you know four five six based on their like algorithm will still get like you know some number of matches, but a guy who's you know four five six will get like almost none, whereas like guys who are tens will get like hundreds and hundreds of matches, they'll get like all of them. And so there's like almost this like sexual concentration where it's like the same guys are be it's, able to meet with like all the women. It's kind <laughs> of back like to like historical. It's kind of back yeah, to like yeah. historical norms, right? Where it's like it's like tournament mode for guys, exactly. versus, right? Like yeah. yeah. So I, I wonder how much like how much have 
has dating apps affected the like sexlessness rate for men and women? And like, by the it, way, that's not a good recipe for a healthy society either. No, no. That I mean, is it's, very it, risky. Be, Having a lot of men who are like sexually yeah, frustrated it goes back to this whole angry, thing, right? It's like, like the that negative is not warrior a good, energy, yeah. right? Like. <laughs> And that's, I mean, the, the incel stuff is fucking scary. Or like, if you ever end up on those Reddit threads and shit, it's like, I, I have not, I've just seen like, there was like that one, at least, at least one that I'm aware of, uh, there's like a terrorist attack or something. Right. Where, oh yeah. It's like a um, shooting was, maybe or something. I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, the specifics, yeah. But I remember I came across it during that time and I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Super weird. Um, but that would, that, you know, that the 2008, thing would almost point to it right it's like yeah it's uh you know the what the fuck happened in 1971 yeah charts right it's like we're, we're gonna have a second side of them for 2008 right like what happened yeah. when the iphone <laughs> came out right? what things changed right yeah it'll be like the charts will be like the incidence of like spinal problems right because we're all hunched yeah. over all the time There's i, I be, saw like, something interesting yep. <laughs> about like eyesight might be deteriorating faster because not just because of like blue light but because we're primarily focusing on something in a very near range and within a very confined like radius of eye movement. So our eyes are retaining muscles for like small movements in the oh, middle, but we're like, losing the movements yeah. to the peripheries. Uh, I can see that. I and so it's not really clear what's going to happen. Yeah. I, I also have <laughs> this like latent suspicion about AirPods, right? Oh, where like we're, we're blasting way more noise into our ears than they evolved to handle. So like, what does that do on a 20, 30 year timeline? Mm. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. This is going to be our generation's version of our parents, like food things, right? Yeah. It's like our parents didn't, you know, they, they didn't know about like our kids are gonna be and like, sugar and yeah. like, you know, like meat and whatnot. Right. And now we look back and we're like, what the fuck were we eating? Right. Yeah. Our, our kids are going to look at what we're doing today. And they're gonna be like, what the fuck were they doing? They were just like microwaving their brain with AirPods yeah. for 12 hours a day. Right. Like we're all like walking around like deaf and blind and you know completely <laughs> useless I don't know. like i can't believe they would spend eight hours a day on their like on their phone or i can't believe yeah. they put their phone in their pocket that might be another thing yeah that, like yeah, yeah. fertility <laughs> which i'm equally guilty of so. so yeah <laughs> i mean it's not like we're gonna have kids because we're all gonna be sterile in like 10 years so <laughs> i'm gonna make them all you can folks no man no 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 no. just avoid your seed oils avoid your seed oils <laughs> Avoid your seed oils. Get in the sun. Yeah, exercise. You need like, to sun your balls for at least. No, one you have hour to like. I feel like no, but I do feel like like taking. This, I'm being completely serious. Like I, I, I do think I kind of buy. You, <laughs> like I think no, no, no. You're completely right. I think you said this. Maybe it was on today off your FDA thing. They, you know, if you if you follow like what they say, like you're gonna end up fat and sterile or something, right? Like I think yeah. that's a hundred percent accurate. And I think there is kind of like a war on the human body for whatever reason, one way, shape or form, it's just like everything. If you do every, anything that's like regular for lack of a better word, you're getting like screwed in some way from your, on your body. Yeah. Like it's just not good. So you have to Dude, put the, in a lot of effort, but it is doable. It is. The doable. tide is the tide. It's turning to be like shifting yes. and like the broad awareness yes. seems to be increasing. If you look at that FDA tweet and we'll try to link it in the show notes that I, I retweeted, like all of the responses are shitting on them right that's it's, most it's government not, tweets though i don't know if you've looked at them lately they're no, no, amazing but it's, it's like people should them for like informed reasons yeah right like making fun of the food pyramid and like you know saying you know why are you telling people to like feed their kids you know sugary cereal and all of this and it, it gives me like a little bit of hope it's like whenever oatly tweets and people start like 
shitting on them in the replies <laughs> about like how terrible Oatly is for you. I'm like, yes, right? Like it's it's working. <laughs> no, <laughs> no more sugary seed oils in our coffee, please. Oh man. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I mean, I'm looking at the responses right now. Yeah, you're right. These are actually pretty encouraging. Yeah. All right. Should we talk about magician or yeah. Should we talk do, about the book? Do we have anything yep. on warrior? Uh, uh, oh, the okay. only other thing I'll say about warrior is, um, or I guess there's two things. One is like, I'll just read it from the book. And I mean, if we want to spend any time on it, we can, but, um, it's basically like, it says the warrior traditions all affirm that in addition to training, what enables a warrior to reach clarity of thought is living with the awareness of his own imminent death. The warrior knows the shortness of life and how fragile it is. A man under the guidance of the warrior knows how few his days are. Rather than depressing him, this awareness leads him to an outpouring of life force and to an ex- intense experience of his life that is unknown to others. Every act counts. And I think that's pretty interesting, yeah. too. Yeah, I like uh, that. I liked yeah. the... Uh, where was it? Oh yeah, so it, talking a little another version of the shadow warrior energy. Yeah, yeah, I was like gonna get the, to that. Yep. Yeah, the the obsessive compulsive personality. Yeah, right. And they they talk specifically about like overcommitting and kind of like I guess maybe it's gambling or taking on too much challenge. It says that all of us can fall under the power of the warrior's bipolar shadow in any area of our lives. It may be that we don't know when to quit an impossible relationship, a circle of friends, or a frustrating job. We all know the saying, quit while you're ahead or learn to cut your losses. The compulsive personality, no matter what the danger signs, no matter how impossible the dream and unbeatable the foe, digs in and works harder, trying to get blood from a turnip and watching his gold turn to ashes in the end. Such a great line. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we we all know... I feel like we all know somebody who has had some version of this happen, right? Where it was obvious, like, you know, okay, you, you've got to get out of that relationship or you got to like quit this project or you've got to, you know, risk off some of your crypto assets. Uh, <laughs> and then they don't do it and they end up getting like wrecked in the end, right? It's like the, there, there's this good, I think it's like a business book, like what got you here won't get you there. Mm. And I haven't read it, but the title is very helpful in of itself, right? Where it's, it's like sometimes all you need to know. It Most might be likely. all you need to know. I suspect it's one of those books. I suspect <laughs> it's one where it's like, here's 20 stories that reaffirm the title. I'm sorry, that's not fair. I haven't read the book. I shouldn't. I know. Read. I haven't read the book but, either. But yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, right? It's like the the mentality that makes you like a super hard charging go getter, like work super hard in the beginning, can end up like being your downfall later, right? Or yep. you know, being super risk on with a small bag and making a ton of money can be like really powerful because you didn't really have anything to lose, but now suddenly you do have a lot to lose. And if you haven't like adjusted that psychology, you can end up like losing all of it. Yeah. I think the only, the, the related thing to that, and then we'll move on to, if we even make it to lover, we'll see, but we got uh, 30 minutes, let's do 30 minutes, (laughs) but it it ties into something that you said is like the warrior is often the destroyer. Um, yeah. the, and so I'm just going to read this from the, the book. It's like the positive warrior energy destroys only what needs to be destroyed in order for something new and fresh, more alive or more virtuous to appear. Many things in our world need destroying corruption, tyranny, oppression, injustice, obsolete and despotic systems of government, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'm going to skip the next part. And in the very act of destroying, often the warrior energy is building new civilizations, new commercial, artistic and spiritual ventures for humankind and new relationships. I think that's like in many ways is like startup and corporate stuff too. It's like disrupting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I like that. 
you know, we should do like Bhagavad Gita or something sometime because yeah. it, it makes me think of like, you know, Shiva and that whole yep. idea from Hinduism, right? It's like you can't have birth without death. You need creation and destruction. And that's kind of what they're embodying in the warrior ethos here, right? It's like the healthy warrior knows what to destroy in order to create and the unhealthy, you know, destroys their creations, right? Or destroys like, you know, the or destroys everything or destroys everything right yeah just just pure destruction right and it's kind of like having being able to you know have that discretion is part of what defines like the positive warrior energy i think there's some of that too to like the culture war that we have in america too is like a lot of the the woke stuff right like it they're not wrong in everything that they say like there's definitely things which like are not right about the history of america but I think where they lose it is like they destroy everything. They, they want to destroy almost everything. It's like, well, because the foundations were not right, we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, basically. Yeah. Um, and so it's like it's not channeling the warrior, I think, in the right way. But it, maybe it could be, you know, done in the right way and and actually kind of correct some of that. Uh, I guess some of the tension that's there, you know, that's been there for the past several years. I think we just have to get rid of social media. Then the culture war will be over. There we go. But they're going to start awarding medals for like. Twitter, you know, it's like <laughs> you, you, you the, the great meme war of uh, the great meme war of, and 2022. Yeah, 2020s. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's talk about magicians. Uh, all right. The energies of the magician archetype, wherever and whenever we encounter them, are twofold. The magician is the knower and he is the master of technology. Furthermore, the man who is guided by the power of the magician is able to fulfill these magician functions in part by his use of ritual initiatory process. He is the ritual elder who guides the the processes of transformation both within and without. So magician is kind of like, you know, shaman, mystic, but also like, you know, I think there's sort of a lot of types of individuals who embody the magician right like shaman ritual elder priest but also like you know da vinci and newton and like these great scientists and great thinkers right like anybody who is turning like you know arcane mystical magical knowledge in or bringing it to the people right it's like the traditional prometheus idea right like bringing fire from the gods uh that's kind of like the embodiment of the magician. Yep. I mean, in a technology way, you could say like Steve Jobs or Jeff Bezos potentially as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like bringing stuff, you just click on your phone and it shows up at your door. Like that's kind of magic, right? Yeah. And the fact that we're talking and looking at each other right now and then we're going to post this and, you know, thousands of people will hear hear this conversation. Like that's magic too, in a way. Oh, like yeah. I think magician I mean, you- is very tied to technology. Yeah, well, and, and you and I are definitely high on the on the magician index, considering we. Spend I was actually going to ask you this question. Uh, where do you think of the? Well, we haven't gotten to lover yet, but oh, I yeah. guess I guess like where do you feel your strongest of like which of the? Oh, the, definitely the magician. Energies? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely strongest. What's magician. your secondary? Do you think? Uh, if you have a secondary, secondary would probably be warrior. Yeah, I like, I think I skew the other way. I think I'm warrior and then magician, but mm-hmm. they're close. Um, and also the shadow sides of both are pretty close for me too. Like if I'm yeah, being honest same. about my, like my struggles in the past and even, you know, every day, basically it's like, those are the two, which uh, when I was reading the shadow section, I was like, okay, yeah, I gotta be like careful. I don't fall into, into yeah. these two things. 
I, I think I have more of the shadow lover than the shadow warrior, but we'll we'll cover that when we get there. But that's definitely like addict, right. Is shadow lover uh, addict or? It's more addict is one of them, and the other one is like the non-committal, right? Yeah, like the the cowboy riding off into the sunset. Oh like yeah, yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, I felt that being as well. happy in his way. Yeah. Like you're always looking for the next thing to kind of like scratch that itch. Like you can't just be yeah. happy where you are. I'm like, eh, yeah, that yeah, <laughs> it's a little too close to home. <laughs> um, but no, I mean the 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 line that they have here that I really like about kind of tying some of these archetypes together is that the magician alone does not have the capacity to act. That's the warrior's specialty, but he does have the capacity to think. So you have like between those two archetypes, you have this like duality of the warrior is the like actor and the implementer and the doer. And the magician is like the thinker and the planner and the observer. Right. And and you want to have that kind of like healthy balance of both of them. Um, this wasn't in my notes, but I just thought of it. Have you read Jocko's first book, Extreme Ownership? Yeah. Yep. He's one of the things in there that I can't remember exactly what he calls it, but is basically about how, like, as a leader, you have to be able to like take a step back and observe when you're in the middle of the fray, because that's how you'll be able to like make the best decisions about like what you and your team should do. And that kind of like this is a good encapsulation of how that like could actually play out, right? Where if you're like too high on warrior energy without magician energy, you're just gonna want to like go, 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 do, 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 without ever like taking a step back to observe like what is the best, like highest impact, most effective course of action here. Whereas like if you're too high magician energy with no warrior energy, you'll just like think and plan and like yep. make to do lists and like talk about you know all this great stuff you're gonna do, but you'll never actually act on it. And so you've kind of got this like yin and yang balance between them where you need both. And if you have too much of one, it kind of like undermines the other. That's such a good point. Yeah. Cause that's exactly it. And I think, I don't know about you. I've fallen into that trap on warrior side. I've fallen into both traps, actually warrior side where yeah. you spend a bunch of energy working, like you're going, but you're not going in the right direction. Right. Or you, and you don't take that step back to be like, am I actually like, I'm working really hard. Let, let's say you're trying to like, uh, grow something. Right. And you spend all of it on like out all this energy on like outbound sales or like outbound reaching people. But turns out that's not actually the best strategy, but you could spend all month or all year just like doing outbound and then never taking that step back and being like, wait, this isn't actually working. Or like, maybe there's a better way to go and do this. But the flip side to that is there's the person who never starts because they're just like, well, what's the optimal channel? I don't know what the optimal channel is. Like maybe it's Facebook ads or LinkedIn ads or outbound or SEO. And like, I need to read all these articles and listen to all these podcasts and YouTube videos and watch these YouTube videos before I can figure out what to start with. Right. And like, they never do anything. uh, People who spend too much time organizing their note-taking tool instead of actually like writing (laughs) something. Right. That's always my gripe with the like note-taking personal knowledge management community. Is like it's so easy to obsess over optimizing these processes, but if it's not actually turning into better or more, like you know, quantity of output, then what was the point of right. spending like, all that the time goal? anyway? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I guess the goal is not to have the most beautiful notes. It's to like whatever you're going to use those notes for. Yeah, you would think that, the, right? Yeah, but it's easy to uh, fall into that. I mean, I, I think we're we've probably all oh, I totally fall that into that too. Ones. Right. Yeah. Like, Everything that I criticize is a self-criticism. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) We should just have that on like a loop because we've said that in so many episodes. I I know. Well, I feel like that's just a useful 
like perspective to have in general, right? Like whenever somebody's being critical of something, it's probably because they fear that thing in themselves in some way, right? Yeah. Like, or they struggle with it themselves. Or they struggle with it. Exactly. Right. It's like people who are writing about stuff, it's usually not because they're an expert in it. It's because they're like insecure about it and yeah. they want to like remind themselves to do a good job with it. There was one one area with the magician that was uh, another like kind of an example that they gave, which I thought was pretty interesting um, regarding medicine. So mm-hmm. I'll just read it from the book. Uh, Many men involved in modern medicine demonstrate this power shadow too. It is well known that the best money in medicine is made by the specialist who is an initiate into rarefied fields of knowledge. There are no doubt many medical specialists who are genuinely interested in their patients' well-being, but many of these men will not tell their patients important details about what is wrong with them. So it's kind of like you, the shadow side is like you have access to the special knowledge and you use that for, I guess, like selfish purposes or yeah. to make yourself like different or better uh, than others. And, and not like in a skill way, but more in like, a, I'm more powerful than you. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like you think about the people who sell really expensive like courses or subscriptions in order to like gain access to special knowledge. Mm. Right. Like, remember the 2017, 2018 crypto cycle when James Altucher had those like awful, (laughs) awful ads where he was, and you see them everywhere. It was like Bitcoin millionaire tells you five coins you should buy yesterday. Right. I mean, they were just so painful. They were so awful. And like the company he did them with, like got sued for it, you know, rightfully so. And it, you know, really like destroyed his reputation, I think, because that was like, that's like consummate shadow magician, right? Like I have secret knowledge. I am better than you, and you need to, uh, like you know, pay me or you know, submit to me in order to gain access to my secret knowledge, right? It's like the classic, you know, negative guru, right? There, there's like, and it's it's a tough line to walk because you know I, I think about this a lot with my material where like I do need to charge for some of it, right? Like charging for courses and you know i have like a paid version of my crypto newsletter but it's like proud subscriber right here yeah (laughs) but like and but i I feel a little bit of that where it's like am i you know am i acting like i have secret knowledge that people need to pay to gain access to because like you don't like that but like money is also a good way to make people take things more seriously right it's like it's a tough balance right you know, a lot of people go to Tony Robbins events and they find them, you know, super high value. And it seems like he does a good job of like actually delivering on the secret knowledge, so to speak. Uh, but then you've got just as many people who do events like that who are kind of just like snake oily salesmen. I guess the, right? the line is if you're a charlatan versus like versus actually good and skilled at that, right? Because if you're, yeah. if you're actually valuable, like to your point about Tony Robbins, I mean, from what I know, the events are super expensive right. and you're right. Most of the people who come away from those feel that they got good value from it. And it's the same thing. Like when I was looking at your crypto newsletter, it's like, I think it's like a hundred bucks a year or something like that. Yeah. Or, 10 a month. I, yeah. or yeah, I, I looked at that and I was like, okay, to get like Nat's time explaining this stuff to me yeah. on the weekly basis is like... <laughs> I mean, it's like, it, let's, say it's, about it. yeah, let's yeah. say it's a hundred bucks a year. That's like 50. Let's say, assume you do 50 of these paid newsletters in a year. That's like two bucks per newsletter. It's like, that's it's actually like, would I pay that $2 to write about this? Like, actually, yeah, that's pretty yeah, interesting. Yeah. But if you were writing these newsletters and you were just like, eat to the moon, right? And that was the entire yeah. content of the newsletter. I'd be like, yeah, this is bullshit. Like, well, <laughs> like I could have written that. 
a good distinction I like heard about this or heard for things like this is if somebody primarily makes their money through the education, mm. then they're probably a charlatan. But if the education is secondary to actually using the knowledge themselves as the like source of wealth, then it's probably higher signal, right? Where it's like complete sense. Yeah. You know, like people who are teaching, like my favorite example is like coaching coaches, coaching coaches, coaching, coaches, coaching coaches on how to be coaches. Right. (laughs) It's like, you know, who's paying all these Instagram coaches to like coach them on, you know, whatever. And it's like, you know, if you're, if your main business is like selling expertise, but not actually, (laughs) yeah, exactly. But not actually using that expertise, then like there might be some charlatanism there. But if it's kind of like a secondary thing, then. That's great. It's like uh, a good example is uh, the 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 note taking guy that everybody looks at, like Marshall McLuhan. I think his name is. Is that right? Anyway, he like that's wrote twenty. No. <laughs> well, th- th- this is it used to be. No. <laughs> well, this is part of what made me like rethink some of that stuff. Is like you know somebody pointed out like that guy wrote 30, 40 books and then organized his thoughts on note taking and knowledge management like at the oh, end of his life and career, right? Like. His his career wasn't like teaching people how to organize knowledge. He like did it for a long time and then like put his info together at the end, right? Or somebody like Robbins, like if I, if I recall correctly, he makes most of his money with like private one-on-one coaching with like presidents mm-hmm. and Uber celebrities and you know, people like Mark Benioff from Salesforce and stuff like that. And he does the like conferences as an additional thing, but he like doesn't need them as his revenue generator. Whereas maybe like, that's Nancy Pelosi's secret. And yeah, she's like a Tony right. Robbins customer. <laughs> exactly. So I don't know. It, it's it is interesting though, and I feel like that is part of where the like uh, insecurity around charging for knowledge work comes in, right? It's yeah. Like you don't want to be a a charlatan or a huckster or whatever. Um, I mean, the other thing is a lot of people who do practice probably make way more money from doing whatever that thing is than they would make from teaching about it. Yeah. Like it's it's just the economics might not even work out many times. And well, if that, they do share it, too. it's like yeah, if they do share it, it's probably just like because they really love or like want to share that knowledge. But it's to your point about being their primary source of income, like people who are really top of their field probably don't need the money they'd make from a course. Exactly. If you're if you're such a good, you know, crypto trader, right? Like, why do you have a paid newsletter <laughs> or whatever? <laughs> right. It's kind of like the the common criticism, right? And that applies to everything, yeah. I think. Yeah. There's definitely some of that balance there with the magician that like it's like the the positive side of it and then the negative side is like kind of what we were just talking about like hiding yeah. the information. I like I like this description. If we are accessing the magician appropriately, we will be adding to our professional and personal lives in a dimension of clear-sightedness, of deep understanding and reflection about ourselves and others, and technical skill in our outer work and in our inner handling of psychological forces. So it's really the like, and I think that this duality with the warrior is so helpful, right? Where the warrior is this like physical mastery and like control and like harnessing of that energy. And the magician is like this intellectual mastery and this harnessing of knowledge and putting that power to work positively. Uh, And you, especially with those two, you like, you really have to have both in good alignment to be like a fully, you know, have that like mature masculine energy. The other thing, uh, or no, this may be, is manipulator under, under magician? Yeah, manipulator I think so. Would be under magician. Yeah. 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 It, here, I actually have it highlighted. 
whenever we are detached, probably (laughs) whenever we are detached, unrelated and withholding what we know could help others, whenever we use our knowledge as a weapon to belittle and control others or to bolster our status or wealth at others' expense, we are identified with the shadow magician as manipulator. So yeah, manipulator is kind of like one of the big shadows here. Yeah, I think the the magician section, like as we're talking about it, is more interesting as we're talking about it than when I was reading it. Because when I was reading, I was like, "Oh, this is very straightforward." But I I actually think this like manifests a lot with people who are I don't want to say technical, but maybe like somewhat creative or like want to create stuff, whether that's mm-hmm. companies or write or other things. Like, there's a lot of like the magician is kind of like that personality type but then on the other like sort of the behind the scenes version of that um i think this is a section right after the part you just read where they're talking about this is the man who they're talking about the manipulator and like the shadow side of magician said this is the man who thinks too much who stands back from his life and never lives it caught in a web of pros and cons about his decisions and lost in a labyrinth of reflective meanderings from which he cannot extricate himself yeah it's like yeah i feel like there's there's also some of that for reading, right? Like reading is great, but if you just read and never implement or never like apply, uh, yeah, then what was the point? You're kinda, yeah. You're just kind of like, I mean, it's like mental masturbation basically. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. It just feels good to read. It feels productive, but it's not really, uh, it's not really productive. Yeah. I've sort of actually given up on consistent reading and I do it a lot more in waves and yeah. like sprints or I'll have a period where I might read three or four books in a week or two, and then a week or two where I don't read hardly at all. And for whatever reason, I find that actually easier and like fits with my psyche better. Like I might have, yeah, you know, one or two weeks of like crazy work output, and then a couple weeks of like less and more, you know, reading and downtime. And I, I think like you know, Taleban, a lot of people would say it's actually a more natural human condition, yeah. right? Like feast and famine, sprint and rest, not like applauding sad marathon every day. Yeah, exactly. And I think the other the other way to I've been trying to I notice similar uh, tendencies as well. And one of the things I've also noticed is if I'm like not excited about reading, it's probably because I don't have like a book that I'm actually yeah. interested. So I, I'm much better about giving up on books now than I ever used to be. Just like, oh. all right, yeah, this isn't clicking. Let's click. Let's read something else. Yeah, exactly. Got to um, get myself excited again. Yeah. And it's like, there's probably a reason you're not excited. Like that's a signal for that. Yeah. And to your point about like, uh, waves too, I think that's totally, totally reasonable. All right. Should Should we do lover lover? 10 minutes? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Okay. I have a good quotation for it. Uh, the lover is the archetype of play and of display of healthy embodiment of being in the world of sensuous pleasures and in one's own body without shame. The lover is deeply sensual, sensually aware and sensitive to the physical world in all its splendor. The lover is related and connected to them all, drawn into them through his sensitivity. His sensitivity leads him to feel compassionately and empathetically united with them. For the man accessing the lover, all things are bound to each other in mysterious ways. Yeah, that's in some ways, this one was like the most religious or spiritual, I guess. Yeah, I think spiritual is a good way to describe it. Not religious, it's spiritual. Yeah. Like that oneness with all things idea. Because when I read that, kind of intro i was like mm, i don't know about like this one you know this doesn't really resonate with me but then they had a couple of things later where it made more sense so i'm going to read a couple of them uh the businessman who has hunches 
is also accessing the lover. So are we all when we have premonitions and intuitions about people, situations, or our own future. In those moments, the underlying unity of things is revealed to us, even in mundane ways, and we are drawn into the lover energy, which connects us with realities of which we are not normally aware. And then a little bit later, any artistic or creative endeavor and almost every profession from farming to stockbroking, from house painting to computer software designing is drawing upon the energies of the lover for creativity. And then I was kind of like, oh, okay. It's like, you know, the the magician is very like heady, logical, like mechanistic in terms of thought. And the lover is more like intuitive, yeah, spiritual, like natural flowing version of those things. Have you read uh, The Alchemy of Finance by George Soros? No, but I've heard uh, very good things actually. Okay. About, so yeah. the, is that the, reflexivity the in- idea? Yeah, or? exactly. Yeah. And the, the whole intro talks about that. And one thing he says is that, you know, like he uses models, but he relies on his own intuition just as much because in like fast moving markets and some and certain things like you eventually just have to trust that your like inner sense knows something even if you can't like explain it with the models and it's like really important to know how to like tap into and listen to that energy and to know when you are sensing something greater than the models are telling you and you should act on that or when you're responding to like fear of missing out or other like negative emotions and so like developing that what this book would probably call like lover awareness is so important for good, like, you know, speculative trading, right? Which you would think of as like a very mathematic endeavor. And he's like, no, no, no. It's like just as much of this like lover energy as it is magician mm. energy. Yeah. I think I would definitely agree with that too. And it, you feel like that too, for kind of like anything, right? Like when there's not enough data or even if, the, or, or if there's too much data, right. It's like, yeah. y- you end up relying on intuition in a lot of ways. And, and you could argue that intuition is like a, maybe a distillation of past experiences and data, but it, it, this like, I, that made a lot of sense to me is intuition is the word that I kept going back to when I was reading that, that, that section. Do you, have you heard that um, it's called like the 40, 70 rule or something like that? No. It's uh, I think this is from like a it's- Colin Powell quote where it's basically like, he was talking about like foreign negotiations, I think, but basically like a lot of people want to have a hundred percent of the information before they make a decision. But if you wait until you have that much information, you've waited too long, but you need to have some information. Yeah. So if you have between 40 and 70% of the information you think you need to make a decision, just make the decision. Because if you try to get more, you'll have waited too long and wasted time. And if you don't have that much, then you're not going to make a good enough choice. So it's kind of like that. That's a good way to kind of like snap yourself into a good yin and yang between magician and lover is, okay, I'm not going to collect all the information I need. I'm going to get enough to make a decision and then I'm just going to do it and kind of like see what happens. Yeah. Like you're not going to, you're never going to get to hundred percent certainty or even 75 as he's, I think in the Colin Powell thing, he said, you'll end up taking too long. To yeah, get exactly. to get that information, and then and then honestly, the moment passes or the time passes, and then all the variables are different, and then yeah. you miss you know you miss the opportunity, or you have to start over with gathering information, and you're on this like endless loop. Soros had a good line about this in Alchemy of Finance too, where he said like, as soon as he has an intuition about a trade, he'll just make it, and then he'll set it aside for a day, and then he'll come back the next day and look at it again, 
And if on second look, it seems like he made a good decision, then he can always double down or add to his position. But if it seems like it was a bad decision or he didn't, you know, have the information he needed, he can just unwind it with like pretty minimal cost. And I was like, it's actually a, a pretty point. interesting way of doing it. Right. Yeah. Where it's like you, you start the decision before you're done and then you can, you know, sleep on it and revisit it a day later and think like, oh, do I regret that? Am I happy I did that? Right. How do I feel kind of intuitively about this as I continue to collect more information? Especially um, if it's if it's not a rever- if it's not an irreversible, if it's decision. yeah, 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 which exactly. a trade would be, I guess, yeah, mm-hmm. trade would be reversible right. for the most part, unless you have like uh, a cliff, yeah, super high day. volume stuff or something, yeah, yeah, or just like in between that one day, it's like everything cra- something crashed, or yeah. If you bought nickel futures yeah. three days ago, yeah, right? exactly, yeah, <laughs> can't add to that today. <laughs> All um, the nickel is gone. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think that was like a, like the lover was an interesting one that I, when I first saw lover, I like had no idea where they were going to go with it. It, The the other thing about like being connected with nature was really interesting to me as well. Like that feeling of connectedness and it kind of felt like the flow feeling, right. The way he was describing it. I think he talked about writing as being that way as well. Right. Where it just kind of like, just kind of happens. And yeah, that's like, we haven't done flow on the pocket. I haven't even read the book flow, but I'm familiar with the, the idea. Uh, please not read that book. It's, <laughs> it's, it's do I know everything? So I need to know? dense. Yes, you With know everything you need idea? to know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we if we were going to do a flow book, we should read like Rise of Superman by Kotler or something. I mean, Ooh, I, okay, that could be I interesting. Mean, I like the title. Yeah, Chick Set Me High is obviously like an incredible researcher, and like this is not a diss against him at all. But flow is just a just how it's written. Yeah, painfully hard book to read for in my opinion, very little payoff that you can't get through like other sources summarizing his research. I feel like it's talked so, about so much. Like the yeah, idea yeah. is pretty well, well known. Well, it's kind of like uh, what's uh, thinking fast and slow, right? Which I have not read either. Yeah, Another I've not read which, either. Yeah. But, you know, one, I know most of the studies in it at this point, And two, most of them haven't reproduced anyway. So we kind of have to throw <laughs> most of that book out. So <laughs> it's like, you know, it's the hard thing with some of those books is... If it's you know a consolidation of your own research, somebody else who's you know a more exciting writer might be able to tell a better story from it. Yeah. All right. In our remaining two minutes, the last thing I'm going to mention from the book is they briefly talk about the addict, which is mm. kind of like the flip side to the lover. Yeah. Um, basically, what the ad- this is from the book, what the addict is seeking, though he doesn't know it, is the ultimate and continuous orgasm, the ultimate and continuous mm. high. This is why he rides from village to village fr- and from adventure to adventure. This is why he goes from one woman to another. Each time his woman confronts him with her mortality, her fi- finitude, her weakness and limitations, hence shattering his dream of this time finding the orgasm without end. In other words, when the excitement of the illusion of the perfect union with her, with the world, with God becomes tarnished, he saddles his horse and rides out looking for renewal of his ecstasy. He needs his fix of masculine joy. He rarely does. Or he rarely does. He just doesn't know where to look for it. He ends by looking for his spirituality in a line of cocaine. I thought that was a really interesting uh, quote. And I think it's also very, you know, very true. Like we see, I think we've all had this behavior as well. This like addictive behavior in different areas of life. Like for some people, it's video games. For some people, it's like porn. For some people, it's alcohol. For some people, it's weed. I mean, it could just be whatever. I mean, yeah. but but this like addictive behavior um, is very common. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because it ties back into like a bit of the discussion earlier around dating apps and things like that, right? Yep. Where that too. Uh, and I've heard this from people who live in New York, where it's hard to date in New York because there's just so many options. 
that you, there might just be like somebody better around the corner like any day. And dating apps kind of like magnify that even more, right? Where you you feel like you have infinite supply and it doesn't matter if you know you don't have to invest in a relationship. There's no sense of scarcity because you can always just like find somebody else or there might be another option. <laughs> and it kind of feeds into this uh, potentially addictive personality uh, or like, you know, no need for commitment or non-desire for commitment because like, oh, I can just keep getting the next hit of that like first date excitement, whatever. And like, keep chasing that, that feeling. This is definitely a longer discussion, but I think part of that is the date, the dating apps to bl- are to blame for that. But I think part of it is also a maturity thing. Like, I don't know. I just, I, that's definitely a longer discussion. I know we both uh, have to stop, but uh, that is, man, I'm sure that'll come up on another episode as well. So we'll, Sounds get good. It at that time. <laughs> we'll, um, we'll do an episode yeah. on the old match.com blog posts, right? Or the <laughs> old okay keep it blog posts, dude. Go read the OK Cupid blog archive sometime. It is phenomenal. I can't believe really? they okay. took it down. Yeah. They I mean, took they, they took it. Is it archived yeah. somewhere? Or? Okay. It's archived somewhere. You can find it. They probably took it down because it would like, if, if a company published this stuff today, they would just get torn apart. Right. Like <laughs> it, but it's incredible. It's like, you know, they, they showed all the data on how like different races are attracted to each other, how different oh, religions are attracted yeah, to each other. Their founder they, wrote like, that book too. Um, I forget the book's name, but. It was kind of about that. It was like data and dating kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 such it's such a good blog. It, you should really go read it. There's a hilarious one about like zodiac signs <laughs> okay. and how like every single zodiac sign had no relationship correlation with every other except for this one specific <laughs> one where there was like an insanely high correlation of the relationships not working out and all the other ones didn't rep- like weren't statistically significant. It it's great. Uh, highly recommend. <laughs> we have to link to, to this. Out. We have yeah, to link yeah. to this in the show notes. Okay, too. keep it blog archive. But yeah, so King Warrior Magician cool. Lover would recommend. We'll have the link down below. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a nice review. Uh anywhere podcasts are sold. Um what else? Oh, Next. and definitely do do Spotify if you haven't if you've already <laughs> left us a review on iTunes, leave us one on Spotify if you have Spotify. Yeah, Spotify seems to be the new spot that No, the uh, reason spot. I say that is they <laughs> they they added um yeah. <laughs> That's All our right. joke of the episode. Um, <laughs> bath party, by the way, you got some good feedback on that one. Uh, did um, <laughs> if you haven't listened to Dictator's Handbook, that was a joke that Matt made uh, in the episode. That was phenomenal. Uh, but no, Spotify recently added reviews, I think just a couple months ago. Oh, sick. And, okay. uh, and so it's just like, you know, we have a few on there, I think. But and, and you don't have to actually write anything. They just have like a star system. But they won't let you review it until you've listened to it. So okay. you have to listen to the show on Spotify before you can leave a review. Yeah. So uh, yeah. please do that. Next next book is fourth turning, right? We don't have another yeah. one scheduled before that. Okay, cool. I think we'll do fourth so, turning and then uh, what's and then the next one? The structures of structure scientific, scientific revolutions. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. cool. Anything else? I think that's it. No, I think that's it. If you want to support the show financially, you can go to Fountain or any other podcast 2.0 app. Send us some, send us some BTC, send us some sats. Some send sats. us a whole Bitcoin if you want. Uh, by the way, Adil had a had a big orange pill moment uh, during our dinner, so I will I'll have to share that oh, with yeah? you another time. We just he had never seen lightning before, so he just oh, like, okay. didn't know it existed, and I just had him send me a thousand sets, which I didn't send back to him. Haha, <laughs> sorry. <Adil. laughs> uh, but he was just like amazed at how it was like done on the table between us, no third party, and I mean it's, it's like so much better than 
like anything on any of the EVM mainnets now. It's well, he like, was telling me about SolPay, which I didn't know about. Yeah, uh, which is Soul sort Pay, of the Solana version. Mm-hmm. SolPay looks yeah. really good. Uh, Argent has a really good uh, oh, ZK that. rollup wallet, but the downside of that is like it's a little more limited right now because the other people, the other person has to also have an Argent wallet. But then you can do it with oh, like okay. a USD stablecoin. Um, oh, that's yeah. interesting. So you can just pay in like USD, like USDC, USDC. Or yeah, exactly. Um, oh, that's interesting. It's similar experience to Lightning, but. Yeah, I need dude, to try the lighting that. stuff is pretty slick. Cool. I mean, yeah, especially like, I think like, a deal was looking at it because the like so he's been messaging me since then of just like all these UX things. So that's sort of like how his mind works. Um, yeah, because it's not that smooth from a UX perspective. It, it's smooth if you know what to do, but if you don't know what to do or you're like a first time user, it's kind of clunky. Which I think has always been the like BTC ecosystem problem is like it's not commercial and so. There's just like not as much motivation to make it easy. And it's kind of like a separate, like a separate community. Like they almost don't want it to be easily adoptable. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of defeats the purpose sometimes, but yeah. The, the reason I've like recently gotten more bullish on Bitcoin again is like, I think we're going to see a lot of KYC and controls built into stable coins and like EVM stuff and like USDC and, you know, some of the other stable coins, like they can just shut off your access to them at any point. And now that we're clearly using capital and banking controls as a form of like almost warfare and potentially like citizen censorship. Oh, definitely uh, warfare. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. It's like, okay, well, maybe it would be better to not use like a US government controlled stable coin <laughs> as like your, you know, store of wealth. Right. It's like you may as well just have cash in a US bank account at that point or hold Bitcoin. Mm. Right. Like stuff yeah. on EVM might not, might be like semi compromised in that sense. So. Yeah, no, I think I there's, actually, I mean, that's definitely a huge use case for it. And that I'm actually surprised it has not, I know we're over, whatever. Sorry, guys. You're, you're all listening to this. Um, <laughs> the, if you're still here, you like what we have to say. Um, the um, What was I going to say? Yeah, I guess I'm surprised the price hasn't gone actually up. Like, it, sorry. There's I no think, money. I think there's no e- money to go into the space right but, now. I guess, yeah, I guess where I was going with that is like, there's, I don't know if there, you probably know the exact, uh, how this, this relationship works. But almost all like sort of large cryptos seem to move together, right? And I want and there's sure there's tons of derivatives between the two. Yeah. Exactly. Highly, yes, highly, highly correlated. correlated. So I guess what I'm saying is I'm surprised it hasn't broken out of that correlation even slightly. It did in, a week ago. Last... Oh, it did. Uh, okay, so everything yeah, else it, went down more than it went down. If you look at the Bitcoin ETH chart. Uh, like a week or two ago, Bitcoin had a really big breakout against ETH and oh, some of the other ones. Okay, but it only lasted like a week, and now everyone's back to being sad again. Um, yeah, but it, I think oh we're yeah, because have... it did spike. It did spike for like a couple of days. Yeah, and then yeah. it came right back down. Yeah, I think we're going to have these kind of like dueling narratives over the next few years of like you know Bitcoin is much harder money than ETH, and it's way better for a like boring world where you need to protect your wealth. But in terms of like rebuilding a global financial infrastructure, mm. ETH is much more powerful for like, you know, we're, we're not going to put the cat back in the bag with all these like financial derivatives and financial tools like that's not going away. And you can't really yeah. build it on Lightning the way you can build yeah. it on EVM. But if I want like a global payment solution and store of wealth, like I'm leaning more back towards the Bitcoin side just because of the censorship resistance that's built into it. That's what uh, the book Layered Money is kind of about. It's this guy who was a... Um forget what he traded on on Wall Street, but basically he was pretty anti-Bitcoin and then went all the way around to being like, yeah, this is not going to be used to pay for your coffee or it shouldn't be. Like, There's better ways to go and do that. But this is way, way better than the way banks and central banks currently settle with each other. Yeah. That apparently it's yeah. like way... like 
I didn't know how it's even done, but that was like his whole focus is just like, this is a much harder money and a much better money for a global settlement versus uh, like a dollar or even gold. Yeah. It's going to be interesting uh, to see all this stuff play out. Yeah. I feel like this ties into fourth turning too. So I'm sure we'll bring it up there. Uh, for sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. We should call it <clears throat> on that note. See y'all we'll see next you guys. Time. Yep. Next time. See ya.